Hey everyone, my name is Randall Heyer and I'm the worship arts pastor here at Cochrane Alliance Church. We are so glad that you've come to check out the latest sermon and we pray that you are encouraged, challenged, and ultimately that you are drawn closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Let's just uh, pray a blessing on the Gilmores and uh, quiet our hearts here for uh, God's word. Thank you God for... uh this partnership that we share in the gospel with uh, so many people. And uh, today we're remembering the Gilmores. We just ask that whatever they're up to today, this week, that your presence would be uh, felt near to them and uh, sustaining them in all things. And and as we turn our attention here to uh, what it means to love you, uh, I pray that you would um, just make your presence felt here in a special way and uh, help us to, to... to love you with all of our minds. Amen. Okay, I have to admit it. I have a love-hate relationship with studying the Bible. This may sound strange coming from a guy who has a master's degree in biblical studies, but it's true. And I, got, I think, you know, I've psychoanalyzed it. I think some of the tension springs from mixed messages I received growing up about the Bible. As evangelicals, we take the Bible seriously. This was instilled at me in an early age, and I think that's a very good thing. However, as a serious Bible reader, it got confusing for me when it came to figuring out which parts of the Bible to take literally and which ones are figurative. As a kid, I was really grateful that I was not encouraged to take Jesus literally when he said, if you hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, as a youth, I was disappointed only a few times uh, that, that we didn't literally practice the instruction, greet each other with a holy kiss. When I moved to Montreal, I realized everybody greets each other with a kiss, holy or otherwise, there. Uh, Culture is amazing. Now, on the other hand, I am very glad that we do take some of Jesus' words very literally and seriously. For example, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. There's a lot of double negatives in that teaching there, but it's good to take that literally, trust me. Now, these examples, I think, are probably easy for most of us to figure out which ones are logically literal, which ones are figurative, but the Bible is big and difficulties abound. And growing up, it didn't help that sometimes my Sunday school teachers didn't always agree with each other or with my parents about how to read the Bible. And sometimes none of them made any sense to me at all. And I don't blame them. Uh, There are tough questions to ask of the Bible. Who decides what we take literally and what we take figuratively? Who decides that the literal past, the literal reading is the serious reading and a literary reading is less serious? Big questions. And I think it might have been, these questions might have been why I became interested in studying the Bible after high school. If I went to the ivory tower of the academy, maybe I would discover the secret decoder ring to all the mysteries hidden in scripture. Then again, maybe I just went to bridal college to meet girls. Or more specifically, a girl. Right, Becky? Um, Whatever my reasons, when I I went to Ambrose University, it was the beginning of uh, my journey of cultivating a robust life of the mind. Uh, 
Now, this past month, Pastor Brent has been preaching his way through what Jesus considers to be the most important command in all of Scripture. It's an idea that pops up all over the Bible, but it first comes from the mouth of Moses in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. Three words, heart, soul, and strength. In Hebrew thought, our heart, it's the center and source of our physical life. But it's because it like pumps blood, and in the Hebrew mind, blood is life, it's It's not just a physical center, it's also a center of our inner lives as well. And so Brent's encouragement to us was to cultivate an undivided heart. In other words, give our whole selves to to God in our devotion. Now the Hebrew word for soul is interesting. Literally speaking, it's that part of our body that, that, that helps us breathe. It's also the part that gets thirsty. Um, and, um, and so it, it, in a similar way, like breath and spirit are like ideas that are connected in the Hebrew imagination. So, um, like our hearts, our, our throats are, uh, are also like part physical center and part inner life center of who we are. And um, Psalm 42 beautifully weaves all these layers of meaning in with the image of a deer in the desert. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? And Brent's message on the soul was an invitation to open ourselves up and drink deeply of the love of God. And then we moved on to this, la- this third word for, for, for strength, ma'od. And it's even more interesting. It's, it's a grammatically weird word to put in, into this command. And last week, Brent said that maybe the best way to translate it would be to say, love God with all of your oomph. And he linked that idea of oomph to service. Whatever our gifts, our talents, our treasures, whatever, whatever they might be, loving and serving God involves giving our best. So three words, heart, soul, and strength. But wait, there's more. These are the three dimensions of the great command as given by Moses, but the Bible is full of conversation and debate about what that actually looks like. And by the time we get to Jesus, a lot of history has passed. The Hebrew Bible has been translated into many languages. Um, The the Jewish faith has uh, been uh, spread all around the known world. And the conversation around what it means to love God has evolved and nuanced significantly. And so when this command to love God with everything pops up in the gospel, there's another word that has been inserted into the conversation. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all include the phrase, love God with all of your mind. You see, there's no Hebrew word for brain. But that doesn't mean they weren't deep thinkers. 
In the ancient Hebrew imagination, thinking and decision-making, that all happened in your heart. So I I hope by now you're getting the picture here. The command to love God is all-encompassing. It involves our whole life. So for the gospel writers who were writing in Greek, not Hebrew, it was perfectly natural for them to include this idea of loving God with your mind. Loving God with all of your strength was... um, I, 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 got, I got the sentence backwards here. Loving God with all of your mind is an aspect of that oomph. You got it? So like it's a subset. That's why Mark and Luke have it split in half there in my little table. In the biblical imagination, oomph was more than just physical might. It, was, it included intellectual might as well. And in his teaching on this great command, Jesus celebrates a robust life of the mind. He teaches that there's a mental dimension in how we love God. So today, I want to challenge all of us to love God with intellectual oomph, okay? So what does that look like? I think it helps to start with a couple things that it's not, all right? First of all, loving God with intellectual oomph is not lazy, Laziness is like the opposite of giving our best. Now, sometimes Becky and I, we get mentally lazy when it comes to mealtime. Honey, what do you want to eat? I don't know, whatever. I don't feel like making a decision right now. Okay, well, just don't complain if you don't like what I make. We take turns having that conversation. Does anybody else do that? Now, this is a relatively harmless example, but if even, even this example, if it becomes a habit, it can get toxic, or you end up eating a lot of pizza, and then it becomes toxic in a different way. <laughs> and this leads me to a pet peeve that I have with some of my brothers and Chris, sisters in the Christian world. We all want to, I said this earlier, we want to take the Bible seriously, but sometimes we don't want to read the Bible on its own terms. We'd rather read our own experiences and our own assumptions into the text. This is a form of laziness. Let's use our text today as an example. It's easy to bring modern assumptions to the English words heart, soul, and strength. Heart, well, that's where I have lovey-dovey feelings, right? So um, Jesus must be, or God or the Bible must be referring to my emotions. And so um, I tune into Christian radio and I sing my heart out to my favorite Jesus is my girlfriend song and tick in the box, I'm loving God with all my heart. Uh, by the way, Randall, you're usually right here in the front. I don't know wherever you are. Thank you for, there you are. Thank you for the effort you make to keep us from being trite when we sing. I really appreciate that. It is good to do that. So that's heart. Soul. Well, soul is that weird, ethereal, non-physical part of me, right? Must be my spirit, like the ghost in the machine kind of thing. And, um, you know, really the only thing that matters is making sure that I take care of that part. I pray some prayers. I do some things. And that makes sure that, like, that part of me is the part that lives on. Kind of weird when you think about it that way. Strength. Well, strength is obviously physical. That has to have to do with my body. 
and I've got to, and we make up all kinds of rules of things that we have to do with our body and things we can't do with our body, and we all end up feeling really miserable, our bodies, in the process. Can you see where these assumptions aren't always all that helpful? Like I said, I hope we recognize that this command to love with all these different parts of us is really a call to love with our whole selves. That's what Brent's been talking about all month. And so these assumptions, they're not drastically different, but they're different enough. And they, they might seem like, it might seem like the plain meaning is, uh, is, is good enough, um, but oftentimes it fails to take into account everything that's going on in the story of the Bible. And we miss out on the, just the, the richness and the depth that, that, that Scripture has to offer. And I'm not saying that we all have to become Hebrew and Greek scholars. Um, there are plenty of great, like, we, there have never been more awesome resources available right now um, to help us understand Scripture. And what I'm doing is I'm just encouraging us all, don't settle for surface meaning. Don't leave your assumptions unquestioned. You'll miss out. A mind that is loving God with oomph is not lazy and it will not pass up on everything that the Bible has to offer. A robust life of the mind is a beautiful thing. It's an act of worship. Like, that is like, love God with all your mind. Like, when you worship, when you use your mind in pursuit of God and loving him, that is an act of worship. It's beautiful. But, um, there's also, like, laziness at one end can be toxic. There's also another trap at the other end of things that can be just as bad. And I'm talking about a fixation on uh, being right. Correct thinking as, like, the only thing that matters. Loving God with intellectual oomph is not defensive and it's not argumentative. Let me illustrate this by riffing on one of the, uh, on one of the most... Um, when, uh, it's not. It's the Great Commission. My brain is kind of fizzled on me right now. Mine's not working. Um, I'm going to riff on the Great Commission. This is like most of us agree as Christians that this is like the mission statement that Jesus gave to the global church. It's why the Gilmores are going to Africa to fly missionaries around. He said, "Go and make disciples of all peoples of the world." baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. He didn't say baptizing them into the one true official theology and teaching them to think correct in all things, no matter what, and to jump down the throats of everybody who disagrees with you. (laughs) Nobody likes a know-it-all, including God, I think. A mind that's loving God with oomph will not be defensive and insist on being right all the time. It makes me sad when people miss out on what the Bible has to offer because of lazy thinking. And it makes me annoyed when people fixate on right thinking and they become defensive and argumentative. I don't know about you, but when I... I look at all the polarization in the North American church and the culture wars that we wage, I find it easy to get overwhelmed with sadness and frustration. 
But wait a minute, those are emotional words. That's an emotional response. What does a robust life of the mind have to say to that situation? How can loving God with intellectual oomph help? Well, funny enough, the classic Sunday school answer, Jesus helps. (laughs) Jesus helps with this conundrum. When he's discussing the great command, he makes a very clever move. He includes a wrinkle to this command to love God. And I want to read it together with you from Matthew 22. An expert in the law tested Jesus with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest command in the law? And he replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Ah, it's on par. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets, that is the whole of Scripture, hang on these two commands. Logically speaking, Jesus is saying that your love for God is best expressed in how you love people. Let's say it a different way. God feels our love most when he sees us loving our fellow divine image bearers. Loving God is on par with loving people. Brilliant move that Jesus makes here. And he's tapping into an aspect of the mind that I haven't mentioned yet. Our will. It's our will uh, that is a really crucial part of our life of our mind. We have an expression in English, make up your mind. It's all about making a decision, right? Loving God is about the choices we make. Choices are a huge part of our intellectual life. And choosing to love God with intellectual oomph involves choosing to embrace a life of loving other people. This decision is cruciformed. It is formed. It is shaped by the cross. Why do I think that? When Jesus was face down in the garden just before his arrest and crucifixion, he prayed a simple prayer. My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. That's his logic. According to the logic of the cross, a mind that loves God is a surrendered mind and is determined to love all of God's creatures. Let me say this again. According to the logic of the cross, a mind that loves God is a surrendered mind determined to love all of God's creatures. So let me just briefly share three characteristics that I see in a surrendered mind. First characteristic is curiosity. A surrendered mind, like Jesus, is determined to love all of God's creatures. And if you turn to the first pages of the Bible, one of the first lessons you'll learn is that creation is good. It's worth learning about. It's worth looking into. 
So, as divine image bearers, co-ruling with the creator, we are called to be curious about all that creation. And more specifically, when it comes to loving our neighbor, we are called to be curious about other people. In fact, that's the best way to get good at loving your neighbor, when we learn about them and take an interest in them and appreciate them for who they are. And beyond people, that we have non-human neighbors that we need to be curious about. It's called plumbing the depths of all of creation. We do that in all fields of study, the STEM subjects, the humanities, the social sciences, the arts, you name it. When we plumb the depths of creation collectively, we become better caretakers of creation. It'll not only inspire us to be kinder to each other and to the planet, it will inspire us to worship our creator. Curiosity is the superpower of the mind. Second characteristic, humility. One of the most honest things anyone could say is, I could be wrong. In my case, it's, I could be wrong, Becky. Rarely do we have all of the answers or all of the data. And how many times in history has new data created a massive shift in how we view things? Just think about the invention of the telescope and all the discoveries of astronomy. There was a time when humanity thought that the Earth was the center of a fairly small universe. And then we started to learn a little more and then our kind of the center of our attention shifted to the sun. But then discovery after discovery has led us to understand that the universe is brain-bogglingly big. Our solar system is a run-of-the-mill collection of celestial objects tucked away in an obscure corner of the Milky Way, which itself is a run-of-the-mill galaxy hiding amongst billions of galaxies. This significantly shrinks the human self-image, I would imagine, and maybe terrifies you, I hope. I hope not too bad. I'm not trying to create an existential crisis here. But at the same time, I hope it radically expands your conception of our creator and inspires humility. Humility is the opposite of defensiveness and argumentative thinking. There's a third characteristic, dignity. Um, you'd think that in light of all the things that we're learning about creation, that we would learn to be humble and treat each other with dignity. Yet, the whole world these days, and I think that includes all of us, we seem to have forgotten the art of disagreeing agreeably. In the grand scheme of the cosmos, we are insignificant. Yet, mysteriously, we bear every single one of us, something of the divine spark. Call it the image of God. We bear the image of the one who's responsible for this vast universe. So why is it so hard to remember that? Why is there so little respect in the public discourse? I wish, I, I, I wish there was a switch that I could just walk over and flip to help us remember this awesome dignity that we all carry. I think it would make our public discourse so much more productive. 
Alas, there is no switch. Or is there? Maybe there's billions of switches. Maybe God has installed a dignity switch in every human mind. And it gets turned and activated each time somebody says, not my will, but yours be done. And then goes out and loves their neighbor. Dignity is the opposite of owning your adversaries. So I'm going to invite the worship team up here now. So just to kind of recap the whole thing here that we've done in January. The most important thing that Jesus says that we can do with our lives is to love God with all our heart, soul, and strength. And mind. Loving God with our mind is not lazy, it's not defensive, but rather loving God with our minds is a conscious choice to follow Jesus in the way of the cross. It's a surrendered mind that says, not my will, but yours be done. It's a mind that recognizes that one of the highest expressions of love for God is love for our neighbors. And it's a mind characterized by curiosity, humility, and dignity. So who's ready to love God with some intellectual oomph? Let's pray. Lord God, we must confess there are times that we are lazy. There are times that we've been defensive and argumentative. And we bring those things to you right now. We lay them at your feet. We ask for your forgiveness. And Lord, every week that we gather and we center our attention on Jesus, we, we are invited to follow him in the way of the cross. And I just, in this moment, in this quiet moment, as we, as we lay ourselves open to you, I pray that that invitation would just sink in and become a little more real, concrete, that, that your spirit would spark our imagination of what that way of the cross would look like for each one of us as we, as we seek to choose to love you and our neighbor. And the Holy Spirit, we just pray for your help. Strengthen us. Embolden us. And fill us with curiosity and humility and dignity. We just thank you, God, for your goodness to us. And we ask that you would move us into, into deeper and more uh, profound ways of loving you with our minds.